Hi friends, welcome back to Just the Good Stuff. I hope everyone had a fun, safe, and delicious 4th of July weekend. We will actually be down at the Jersey Shore with one of Ezra's best friends and his family when this episode comes out. I am so incredibly excited to be getting away from the city life for a little bit again and to be able to be out in the outdoors with Ez and with so he doesn't have to wear shoes and he can run in the grass and in the backyard and go swimming is such, such, such a treat when you live in the city and especially the playgrounds and all that fun stuff for all the kids. They're still closed. I was so bummed. I signed Ezra up for this cute like art in the park and got the notification that wouldn't be happening. So I'm excited to be able to take him away from here for a little while so we can enjoy the fresh outdoors. Now for today's episode, for those of you who have been a part of my Instagram and blogging community for a while now, you guys know how much my Spindra family means to me. We have been a complete Spindrift obsessed family for years now. Ever since we first tried it and we were buying like cases every single week, Jordan, my parents, my in-laws, everyone I know is on the Spindrift train. In fact, I brought 10 cases down to the beach with me. I'm not kidding. In case you aren't familiar with Spindrift, they are the most refreshing beverage in the entire world. Sparkling water, a splash of real fruit like lemon, pineapple, lime. Grape. They even have a strawberry and they're very popular half and half, which is like a sparkling water take on like a Arnold Palmer type feel. So good. Spindrift is not sponsoring this episode, just so that you guys know. Anytime I have a founder on, it isn't sponsored at all. And I'm so incredibly honored to be bringing you guys this episode with the founder of the sparkling beverage we all know and love, Bill Creelman. Bill fills us in on everything we need to know about the brand, how they got started, why their product stands out, where the brand is heading in the future, and so much more. And as you guys will hear in the beginning of this episode, I have such a soft spot for chatting with Bill because in my previous life, I was actually the executive assistant to the CEO and founder of a beverage company. So I felt like I had this weird connection with Bill, which I realized a few moments before we started recording. I hope you guys love this episode and chat with Bill as much as I do. It is so incredibly special to me to be able to bring on the founders of some of the most amazing brands that I work with and have them share their story. So huge thank you to Bill for taking the time to chat with me. If you have a minute or so during the interview, I'd love for you guys to rate and review the podcast on iTunes, screenshot you listening and share it with us on Instagram. I love, love, love seeing when you guys are listening to the podcast. It makes me so happy. Now, before we dive into today's episode, I'd like to take a moment to thank our sponsor, Garden of Life. You guys know at this point that I am a dedicated Garden of Life groupie. I use so many of their products from like the chia and the flax seeds to vitamins, but especially the probiotics. What I love the most about Garden of Life is really how many options they have for everyone, especially within the probiotic category. I'm the type of person who likes to switch up their probiotics like every month or so or whenever like the bottle um, is done. I don't like to keep using the same one month after month after month. They say it's best for you to switch things up after you finish a bottle. And Garden of Life has so many amazing probiotic options. But my personal favorites right now are the CBD probiotic for stress relief. It is so good. It has 50 billion CFUs and 10 milligrams of CBD per capsule. It not only helps with your digestive system, but also your immune system and stress management. Sometimes I'll just take one like during the afternoon, like after lunchtime. And then I always take one again about an hour and a half or so after dinner. 
swear by them, absolutely love them. And the other favorite of mine right now is the Raw Probiotics Ultimate Care, which has 100 billion CFU, so it's a little bit stronger of a probiotic and 34 probiotic strands to support your immune system, digestion, everything. They also have a shelf-stable one, which is great for travel. And like if you're going out for dinner and you want to carry it, it doesn't have to be in the fridge. Absolutely love it. It also just works really, really well. I swear by them. If I don't take a probiotic before I go to bed or after dinner, I'm like convinced I won't go to the bathroom in the morning, which maybe is TMI, but you guys, I cannot recommend taking a probiotic right before you go to bed enough. What I also love about Garden of Life is that they're organic, non-GMO verified, and they truly make the best of the best. I link to some of my favorites over on my shop page, rachelmansfield.com slash shop. And I link to it over in the show notes, which is also the best way to support the show. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode and huge thank you to Garden of Life for being the today's sponsor. Thank you so much for taking the No, I uh, thank you for your support of the brand. I uh oh I feel like I know you. My pleasure. I, I, yeah, yeah, no, I feel, you know, you were an early adopter and a friend and you know, I follow you on Instagram so I feel like I kind of know you, you already, which is always a weird thing to feel like you have a familiarity with someone that you actually don't know. So yeah, so I was keen to get together like this. It looks like we're both in our our bedrooms hiding probably from our kids. So yes, as um, we're napping right now. So I hopefully he'll continue to sleep during the this. He's right next door. I live in (laughs) a really tiny apartment. So this quarantine has like definitely put us to the gosh. We're over the yeah, yeah. We've like all but given up. I mean it you know, we are trying to have some semblance of, you know, of organization and schedules. And I guess with a little one, you kind of have to have schedules, but we just, the gloves came off. We, I have four kids of different ages and it was just, it was impossible to, How to run the business. And so I have a 15, almost 16 year old, all the way down to, to eight and then two in between. So I, three boys and a girl. What's the order? Is it? So it's that's a great question. Um, <laughs> so boy, girl, boy, boy. Oh my gosh, I love yeah. that. Oh, that's amazing. You have your crew though. You have like your army, your people. Well, sort of. Yeah, we do. I mean, they're awesome. They're all, you know, we're all non-linear thinkers. So you put a lot of people like that in a small space, and it's like a lot of drama. So how do you find raising a boy? You know. It's- <laughs> Did you grow up with brothers or? Yeah, I have a younger brother. Okay. All right. So you know a little bit of the drill. Yeah. And my brother, you know, he's the quintessential brother. Like he loves sports. He races a boy. Yeah. Motorcycles, hockey, lacrosse. Like my dad races cars, like very, very active family. Yeah. I was like shoved out the door and my parents made me mow the lawn to have some form of like exercise with a push mower because I just wasn't active. But Ezra, He's 15 months and he is just like the, he's on the run. I mean, you know, it's just, yeah. I can't keep up with him. I can, but I can't. By the end of the day, I'm fried. I'm like, all right, 7.37, you're oh 7 for bedtime. We're over, we're over schedule. I agree. I think it's so fun. And I know we'll, we'll move on because I know we're on a schedule, but I just know like with Harley, my wife's name is Harley, like our three boys, you know, just learning how boys are wired, even though she had three brothers is growing up. So weirdly we have a boy. Three oh, wow. three. Oh, cool. Yeah. It's crazy. 
but just like I find myself on many occasions like having to just pull her aside and be like, you know, guys are just not, first of all, that evolved as a species. Like girls are here, guys are, you know, the boys are just fighting all the time and terrible at expressing themselves. You know, <laughs> never give you anything. Like here you are, the mom, like putting in all of this energy and effort and just wanting to get something back. And they're just thankless in some regards. So I, I've apologized to her on many occasions for our gender, just like more broadly, because of, of how just embarrassing we are. Oh, um, no, it's not that bad. So. It's, it's just, I actually just did this. Are you familiar with human design? No. Human design makeup? I'm by no means an expert. This is like the first time I've ever really heard of it, but it's almost like a Zodiac sign. Hmm. And I'm not very like woo-woo or involved in things like that, but I'm so yeah. open-minded to hearing anything. And basically everyone based off of the date you're born, the time and the location, you're like a specific makeup. And so I did a call with someone and I'm like a manifesting generator. And she said, Ezra's a generator. And she was giving me the rundown of what that meant. And even at a young age, I saw so many of the things that she was saying. Oh, like, wow. I love to stack things and like, he'll be very vocal and all of those things. And all he does is stack. He actually stacks cans of Spindrift because they're like, we hide them under our coat <laughs> for our little storage. And he stacks them perfectly and like loves it. Just, Isn't it's, that interesting? Yes, very interesting. So that'll be helpful. That'll be helpful. Cause if, yeah, you'll suddenly recognize like all of this behavior. Cool. Well, that's fun. That's a great age. One and a quarter. Yeah, that's super. That's a super fun. Like they're starting to become real people and have opinions. And yeah. well, well, I, awesome. I can't thank you for taking the time. I mm -hmm. didn't even realize before this until I was actually I was messaging with Melissa and you probably do not know this, but I used to be the executive assistant to the CEO and founder of a beverage company in my past lifetime and i was said to melissa and this is an hour ago i'm like i just realized that like i feel even more to deal because i like have been his assistant in like five six years ago um that is incredible what what, what do you mind me asking what beverage company or yeah i'll tell you after after the call okay <laughs> recording it um but i was fired from that company and that was what motivated me to like really pursue this full time but I say all the time, like I attribute like growing my own brand and then I want to dive into your amazing brand, but my own by following him and like learning and absorbing everything that he did. Cause I was like the 10th or 12th employee and, you know, they ended up selling for a lot of money. They grew exponentially over the last few years and, you know, very similar mission to you guys, just trying to make mm. a healthy beverage feasible for people, for consumers, get them off soda and everything. And I love the beverage industry. So I, I always have. Oh, great. So it was really cool to, I just put that two and two together. Like that is amazing. What a great entry point. I don't know if that was your, you know, your first job, but I mean, just to come into beverage, it really is like a very, it's a universe in and of itself. I mean, it really is like it's own kind of has its own set of considerations. It's so visible. Brand is like front and center, splashed everywhere. You know, if, you, if you're successful, you're called by name, you kind of last forever. And, but it's so competitive and it's 24 hours a day. It's not a, you know, what I tell all of our, all of our early kind of 
team members is like, this is not for the faint of heart. I mean, you, you, when you get in and I'm sure you saw it from your seat, like you really kind of go all in. It's hard to be, you don't sort of just sort of dip a toe in. You just kind of like whoosh, rush your foot right into the circle. Oh. It's like from even like the sales team perspective, like it was very incestual in a lot of ways where like everyone, all the guys would just bounce from team to team to team. Like this brand would get purchased. And this brand, I know the head of yeah. our team came from like three other beverage companies and with over it, the last like 20 years. So it was, it was cool. And I, I love actually, this is a great segue into like, did you know you always wanted to be in the beverage industry? Like where did did you go to school? Did you grow up? Like, did you know you want to be an entrepreneur? Tell us about you in your adolescence a bit. Sure. Yeah. So, well, so early I grew up on a farm in Western Massachusetts and it was a really self-sufficient community. So I would say that was my early introduction to entrepreneurship and there were others along the way, but everyone kind of worked for themselves. So that seemed normal. All of our ingredients came from the farms around us. You know, we heated by firewood primarily. We, our milk came unpasteurized with, you know, that big head of cream on the top. You know, we'd get like freezer fulls of chicken or meat delivered on a, you know, and so I actually have no early memory of even going to the grocery store. So I think it wasn't as much for me about beverage. Uh, early on, it was much more about connection to food and where food came from and entertaining and the storytelling aspect of food and this idea that food brings people together. And, you know, one when done well and when a story is told well, it can really, it was always just captivating to me. And so I, I was intrigued with the idea of trying to replicate that somehow later in my life. That's so cool. So you really knew the definition of quote real food and like the quality of ingredients before it was this like crazy trend within the space, you know, now everyone tells you to look at the label, but like you probably didn't even have labels because everything was so pure. I think, and I don't know how unusual my childhood, you know, I think there was, you know, at this time in Western Massachusetts, you know, you, you, you shopped at your farmer's markets or at your co-op and that seemed to just be kind of the way it was. But it was, for whatever reason, for me, like super interesting that I could turn around and, you know, we had a maple sugar house up the road from our house and we would, they would sugar, it would, you could literally smell only maple syrup for a part, part of the year. And you, we would, when we needed more sugar, maple, maple syrup, we'd walk up the street, grab it and come back. And so without a question, it made an indelible imprint on me that, and I still am that way. I'm still nuts about ingredients and making food and you know cooking with food and trying to trace it back to where it came from so was it like culture shock for you you went to Georgetown if I can remember yeah yeah yep. what did you choose to go to school so far away for that's not any that's not like a farm whatsoever that was like a more city setting so I think that falls in on more of the entrepreneurial like I, I was ready to get out so I loved you know, what I was doing and I loved where I was from, but I, I also needed at 18 to go really far away from it to appreciate it, probably like most 18 year olds. So Georgetown for me was almost like the opposite of everything that I knew. City obviously sort of was thinking about politics, I don't know, a bunch of things that were interesting at the time. And, but what it did do is it 
helped further prepare me for with some of the skills that I would need, you know, kind of later on. And in particular, I was introduced to one of the very early entrepreneurship programs that was offered, I think, collegiate-wide. Professor Benson, he was a he was, you know, offered one class and I got in there as a as a senior and just completely fell in love with with it and uh, ultimately ended up kind of getting right into the f- startup food business right after college. Yeah, I did a I did some stalking on you. Obviously, I do like a deep dive on guests before I bring them on because I I want to know everything. I'm also just you know when it comes to a lot of the brands in this, you don't know the founders behind them. Like people walk, they know your logo and they know the look of the can as soon as they see them, but they don't always know the creator and the face, particularly behind the brand. So when I was doing some, I learned that you had had like a past life in the beverage industry too. And after you were finished with that product, when did you like start Spindrift? Like, did you just take seltzer one day and squeeze some lemon in it and say, let's can this up? Like, how did this come about? That's a great question. So my, my journey, I think like a lot of people was long and circuitous through sparkling beverage. So I, as a kid, again, back sort of in West, you know, we had like natural sodas. They were clear very often. I think clearly Canadian was, was one of the early beverages. And then started to drink a bunch of Diet Coke, you know, product of like, kind of, that was sort of just what you drank at a, at a certain point, maybe to stay awake in college. I don't remember. I had and like then, a allergy of Diet Coke and like Mountain Dew. In my oh my mind. gosh. Yeah. And I'm not sure I even like, I didn't love coffee at the time. And when you needed to stay up late, I, I don't know, we just went to like whatever had the highest MG of caffeine, but that created a problem for me because at a certain point I really became addicted to to diet coke especially and only in a can and only in a certain time of day it was it was not probably healthy and then uh as i started to have kids i you know was even more aware that i was you know ripping a bunch of these things during the day and then on the professional side uh the brand that i was with before had had a tonic water and a ginger ale and a few other sparkling beverages so i knew enough to be dangerous you know when spindrift was just getting started and really, the idea with Spindrift was to combine a lot of my instinct around food and real ingredients with a solution for soda. It, it actually wasn't even as much about sparkling water early on. It was more the idea that soda was going away. That was clear. And diet was just bizarre. You know, I don't know what aspartame is. I don't know what any of these ingredients are. But I do know that I love getting sparkling water and having a wedge of lemon or lime on the edge of the glass. And I really like it when I squeeze it in and it's just refreshing. And I didn't understand why on its face you couldn't translate that flavor, that incredible effervescence and kind of fruitiness without any of the sweetness to a commercial beverage. So that was really the challenge that that we started with um, when we started Spindrift. Well, the thing that what I love, a lot of the brands that I have been using for a long time, if I think about it, like, and I don't obviously mean this offensively, but they're not like, oh my God, wow, I can't believe that this is, it's almost just like, duh, you should be drinking something like this. It's so pure. It's so clean. Like my favorite, like cookie brand, it's literally just like almond flour, peanut butter, and like chocolate chips. Like we don't need these like fancy elaborate products that are infused with X, Y, and Z and have like this essence and this and 
that's what makes Spindrift stand out. Because even from a consumer perspective, when they pick it up, it's not, an, it's not an intimidating product. It's like so simple and so pure. So what was the first flavor of Spindrift? Like, did you originally start with this product line or did you have a line before this? So just to comment just on your, your comment on, a, first of all, thank you. And I love that in your cooking and, and recipe recommendations as well. The number one thing we heard from consumers about any sparkling beverage is how confused they are by what it is. You know, if you think about the journey of the soda consumer, it was like sugar early on, you know, many, many decades ago. And then suddenly sugar wasn't good. So they tried diet. And then things started entering these drinks that were just, I mean, unrecognizable. And each time the product changed, the consumer lost more and more faith in what it was. So at the heart of it, what we were trying to do with, with our product was really t- strip away as much of the confusion as you can. And even you see it in the label. We don't call out low calorie or no sh- We don't call out any of that stuff because we just want you to know not what it isn't, but actually what it is. Yeah. And it's a really, as you said, it's a simple idea and it shouldn't be that complicated. The irony, of course, and you know this well, is that when you strip all of these things away, it actually is when it's the hardest. Yeah. Because you're now left with just, you're left at, with the quality of the ingredients and and your process. And that really has become a 10-year journey for us to try to figure out like, you know, at a certain point, we we knew we were doing something that had never been attempted before. And there's a good reason why, because when you factor in seasonal fruit and time and temperature and the relation and stability, you know, it all makes it so complicated to make it's 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 easy to make at a restaurant setting when you put a wedge of lemon on the edge of the glass. It's it's incredibly difficult to make as you know in, in a in a commercial product like ours consistently. And that's really become our obsession, really, to to introduce kind of the world to that type of flavor. Well, when you add a restaurant, you're not that's just made to be consumed right then, right there. And then when you're thinking about it, like, yeah, this idea is very simple and pure, but to have it be stable in a can for X amount of months, that's like not an easy feat to have. And I was even thinking before, you know, the uh, the flavors like strawberry and raspberry, like those aren't in season all year around. Yeah. To find like the actual real fruit to add to the package, like, you know, that's a lot more challenging than I'm sure most people assume that it is. Yeah, and we really had to like, there was almost no ingredient that was commercially available in the state we needed it when we started. So on the berry side, um, as you mentioned, like almost all of that berry is either sold fresh or like heavily cooked and sort of hash, you know, really sort of over pasteurized, a lot of it for baby food actually. Um, And that really from a nutritional perspective, from a flavor perspective, it barely resembles the fruit that it's coming from by the time you actually get it. And that's fine uh, for, you know, health is important and stability is important, but it didn't work for us because we don't have anything else in there. So we needed to bring back all of that flavor. And so we had to partner with our, our fruit suppliers and, and work with them to try to, I don't know, unengineer or unprocess and the same would be same would be said on the citrus side. You know, we were buying it in one gallon containers and dumping it in and 
in Worcester, Massachusetts, you know, when we were just kind of making batches as we went and, you know, you can't scale a business using one gallon containers. So we had to go from a gallon to five gallon. And each time we took a step, we, we also, we had to make sure that the product still worked commercially for us. So, you know, it, it just took a lot of, of time and kind of patience and commitment, but we felt it was important for the same reasons you just mentioned. Yeah. And what, what makes your product stand out amongst a lot of the others on the shelves is that fact that you don't use natural flavors or additives in, into Spindrift. Can, can you speak a little more to like why you guys don't use natural flavors? And of course, like I never hate on anyone that uses them, but just if you could give a little background on like why you guys choose, choose not to, and like what does yeah. mean? So it is, it is a, um, so we started with natural flavors, Rachel. We, you know, I think I, like everyone else, assume that natural flavors were what they sound like, just sort of something from nature. Mm-hmm. As we got further into the business and started to strip ingredients away, we, we started to see an uptick in consumer write-ins about natural flavors. And not in a, in a vindictive way, like, but, but it was more just saying like, hey, can you just tell us what they are? We trust you guys. So we went back to our suppliers and said, hey, we're getting questions. Can you just disclose what what these things are? And and the answer we got was, we can't tell you. And we said, well, wait wait a second. You know, we're buying from you. We're starting to buy a lot. And we need to have transparency. And and ultimately, where we landed was, you know, natural flavors is this really broad term that applies to thousands and thousands of ingredients, individual ingredients that are not regulated by the FDA. And some of them may be perfectly innocuous and, you know, just everyday items that you would recognize, but a lot are are not. And there's there's processing agents in there. There's a variety of things that just made us nervous. So similar to you, we don't, I'm not judging anyone because they could be using a better end of the spectrum or or not a good end of the spectrum. We're not sure. We just for us, it became a question of trust. If I'm going to sell you something and tell you all about sort of the origin story and why this is important, we can't then just sort of slide a natural flavor in under the bottom of it and say that it's still what we said it was. And so we we made the hard decision five years ago to move out of all of them. We We actually just won an award and we were like sort of getting some recognition and we stopped all of our production and said, we're going to move away one item. You know, we probably had at the time, maybe half our portfolio had something in it that we thought was just not, not so, so that, that was a very hard process, particularly on certain items, but ultimately now to be able to say it's real fruit, sparkling water and have all that confusion gone has been huge for us. Well, it's almost, that was a, like a ballsy move to make five years ago. Cause that no one really naturally, that was at the time when if you put the label natural or all natural on anything, everyone thought that it was healthy. And that's something that's deceiving across any product. Like I even had a reader message me and said that um, the peanut butter she was using for one of my recipes wasn't melting. And I was said, okay, well, what peanut butter are you using? And she had said, I'm using all natural Skippy. And so I, like, I looked up the all natural Skippy on the website. And again, I used to eat Skippy. I grew up having like Jif and Skippy and whatever else, but it wouldn't melt for her. It was burning. And I was like, yeah, that's because there's some additives to it. It's not like pure, pure peanut butter. She goes, no, it's all natural. It's healthy. 
And I'm like, no, the term natural in any capacity doesn't mean that it's like the purest form. It's very, very deceiving. It's not regulated. And like it has sugar and palm oil in this uh, specific peanut butter. I'm like, that's why it's not melting for you. And it was like a light bulb went off in her head. She was like, oh my gosh, I feel so deceived from my peanut butter. I didn't realize that it wasn't healthy, but five years ago, no one, everyone really bought into the natural term. So that was like very ahead of the game that you guys did this. It was crazy. I mean, even when we put together our pronouncement that we were moving out of natural flavors, I would say more than half of the responses we got were, why are you moving out of natural flavors? Why would you move out of something natural? Literally, like they thought that we were moving in more of an artificial direction than really what we were saying, which was like, we're completely, you know, sort of stepping away from anything that's confusing. And so, and I, I would actually say, I, you know, I think we've moved, we've taken a big step in, in that direction. And it's been really helpful for other brands that, that we sort of think of as like our little kind of coalition to also take a position on natural flavors. But, but overwhelmingly, I'd say the most consumers are still not totally sure what natural flavors are. And, and exactly why they should be intimidated by them. What were the first couple flavors of Spindrift from the portfolio that you guys have right now? So we started with four. And I would say the, this actually goes back to the very earliest days and through all of development. Lemon, grapefruit, blackberry, and orange mango. So, and I, I should have probably put raspberry lime in there, five. So, and the reason for that was they were flavors that I really enjoy just personally. I thought they appealed to like slightly different consumers. Our our product development philosophy, and I would love to curious how you think about this. Our product de development philosophy is to take well-known flavors and do them in mind-blowing ways. So everyone knows what a lemon sparkling water tastes like um, or raspberry lime, but what they may not have tried is, you know, real lemon squeezed, rushed to a plant. And so we feel that uh, the innovation for our product is in the product itself. It's not in kind of wacky esoteric flavors. It's flavors you would recognize just done in really, really differentiated ways. Yeah. Well, that just goes back to the point that you guys are like the most like, very pure and simple brand. It's not reinventing the wheel in terms of the ingredients. It's just you know, being accessible, accessible to everyone. Um, the half and half is like my husband's favorite one ever. I think that. Is <laughs> yeah, that's that. So that product was that actually broke that rule. So I just got done telling you the wheel. So the half and half was a legacy flavor. We actually had kind of a more of a soda profile early on, and we we migrated that to sparkling water. And there really wasn't a the time, and I, I'm not sure there even is today, any sort of tea sparkling water. And so we had nothing to go on with that product other than the fact that we all really liked it. And, and from an innovation perspective, it was really intriguing. The problem is that black tea is very acidic and kind of isn't everyone's favorite on its own. And lemon is obviously tart and doesn't have a lot of sweetness there either. So it took us ages to figure that product out. And in fact, where we, why we eventually got there is we took our lemon, which by then we had, I think, felt good about, 
and kind of brought the tea level up within the lemon to get to something that was more balanced. The mistake early on was trying to get black tea unsweetened to taste good. And it was, it was a big challenge, too big a challenge for us. Well, it's perfect. And especially for like the quintessential golfer, because he thinks he's drinking like an Arnold Palmer. That's like, you know, that's right. Similar. So <laughs> absolute favorite. We actually ordered a bunch of Spindrift to bring. I'm turning 30 next weekend. Oh, we happy birthday. Thank you. And we rented a house. I haven't seen my family in like nine weeks. And I'm getting to the point where I'm like, screw this. Like I could get hit by a bus tomorrow or I can get COVID. I'm going to see my family for my birthday. Great. Rented a home like out East for the for a long weekend and have like my parents and my in-laws coming and my father-in-law. He, I think drinks about five to six drifts a day. It's so crazy. Every time he comes over, we have to like put so many in the fridge because it's like his favorite. And every time I ask for his favorite flavor, he like won't even give me a favorite flavor. Like he will drink anything at all times. So. I love this man. I yeah, love this man. Whole following is, my, is truly, truly my family. Um, <laughs> but my mom was like, oh, we need the pineapple for tequila. And then George's like, well, we need the grapefruit for Aperol spritz. So, you know, you guys are also game changing the cocktail game, which is very cool. And you make me fit in when I don't want to drink and I have my spin drip. I have something else to drink. Yeah, the cocktail, the mixer space is really fun. I mean, you know, we didn't, we, I wish we could say we saw the seltzer, hard seltzer craze coming. We actually early on had sort of a version of Spindrift with and without alcohol that we decided to, to oh, not pursue. Yeah. Is that so, something that you're thinking about doing, you think, in the future? So we, we definitely, you know, it's not a big stretch of the imagination to, to go to where, from where we are to that space, especially because the hard seltzers that are out there today are they have the similar challenges to, to what we, or the opportunities, let's call it, that what we saw in the, in the sparkling water space. You know, they're, they tend to be sort of origin unknown, you know, on, on the ingredients, even the base of the alcohol is a little bit confusing. Yeah. We, for now, we're very happy doing what we're doing and we, we offer up recipes for people to try, but obviously the entrepreneur side of me is always thinking like, wouldn't that, you know, it'd be fun to maybe experiment one day, but, but right now we're very happy to be a mixer solution. And I think the versatility, especially with COVID and kind of where we are to be able to, or we're trying to offer up a bunch of different ways to use Spindrift along the way. Now, are you the type of personality that once you guys had launched pineapple or really once you created pineapple, are you already thinking about the next flavor and like what's coming after that? Are you like a yeah. serious innovator? <laughs> I think I've, I do have that weakness, let's call it, of, you know, thinking about flavors and, you know, I, I probably drive the guys crazy. Although what, what I will say is I think over the years, I, I've, I've sort of come to appreciate like why it's important to be deliberate about your innovation. Um, even early on, like we would launch two or three products in a year and, just kind of throw them against the wall and see what's stuck. But as we round out our portfolio and head into 10, 11, 12 flavors, you know, we really need to make sure that the products, you know, have a home and are yeah. properly messaged. And the team has just done an unbelievable job um, and gotten better and better each year with the storytelling side. It's such an important part of our kind of brand work every year to make sure that we 
give the products that we're launching their due. And so I think we'll continue, you know, sort of on the pace we've been on, but we, we definitely are already moving, moving towards thinking about 2021 innovation. Mm-hmm. It's exciting. Um, Melissa gave me like a teaser the other day of something coming out this summer that I'm looking forward to. I'm always oh, good. For, like the scoop on everything, like anything for me. <laughs> now from a retailer perspective, when you guys first were starting out, who was your first major retailer that took, that took you in and where you were able to call it a home? So we were originally a food service facing brand and that very much is still the heritage of, of our brand, meaning we, we started with uh, small salad shops and sandwich shops and, you know, burrito stores, anywhere that people cared about ingredients and were that was before, before grocery stores, like, yeah, it was like, were you in sweet green and Kava? Like, before yeah, we, we started. So, you know, those guys were kind of friends. Sweet Green guys in particular went to Georgetown. We're all Georgetown Georgetown guys. And we we met very early on. In fact, we launched the first batch of sparkling water. The entire thing went to Sweet Green. So Nick and I actually joked about that recently. Just, you know, we had forgotten sort of how long we had been working together. And they were on their journey and Try, they had, you know, soda, but not soda, but oh, a boiling soda and they had dispensed. So, and, and we were also trying to figure out who we were and how we fit into their story as well. So, and Kava has been an amazing, I mean, we've been very lucky to really count that group of like fast, casual forward thinkers as really friends. It was only four and a half years into our business that we started to break away from kind of some of the regional Whole Foods. And we were lucky enough to get uh, Trader Joe's was, an in- was interested in our product. And, um, and so they, they really helped to, again, be a partner and a friend. And they, they, they also were, you know, looking at their range of drinks and saying like, you know, we, we think there's an opportunity here. And we're, we're talking about real ingredients and other parts of the store, but we don't necessarily have something of of the standard that that we think we can get to. And and I think that's been true, really. Of I mean, our role really in retail is to bring real ingredients. You know, sparkling water is a very old category, and there's lots of choices and shapes and sizes and colors and all the you know is any flavor you can imagine, but where we tend to to work is when you have a retailer and a consumer that are really thinking about real ingredients, they're thinking about what they're putting in their body and they don't want something very sweet, but they want to know what it is and they want some flavor that comes with it. And particularly with food, if you just think about food in general, like sparkling water in general, historically has not been something you would necessarily have with a meal. It just isn't, it sort of falls, falls short of the intensity. And we, I think that was up for us, it was a very natural starting point. We love food. So we had that covered. And then we offered, I think our product is a tick more flavorful um, and, and more rounded flavor. And so that really has helped us kind of propel into a differentiated positioning in a bigger, really big category. How long have you been in Trader Joe's? Because that's no easy feat. They mean, they take most products and ask for like private label. I mean, now in the last, I would say six to 12 months, they're definitely allowing more like brands in there as their Mm -hmm. own. But you've been in there for a long time, at least since I've been shopping in there. Yeah, we've been really lucky. I mean, 
so we, yeah, I think it's probably been four, four or five years now um, that we've worked with them. And again, you know, our philosophy is really to partner with, you know, with Trader Joe's. We're always sort of talking about ideas and something that's fun and differentiated. And and they were, you know, and I think, you know, I can't obviously speculate, like, but I think the the purpose driven nature of our product and the storytelling, I think, really complements them well. And I think that that's added a lot of longevity to the relationship. Yeah. Now your office is in, well, when you used to go to the office, it was in Boston? It's in Boston, yeah. And where do you live? I live like two towns over from the office. So Oh, that's it, not bad. No, it's not bad. My my promise to my wife when I started was that I would never I at one point in my life had for 12 years had a l- really long drive from Boston to New Bedford and Fall River, which is, I don't know how well you know the area, but it's an hour and change. Around Boston, but outside of Boston, I don't know. Like I know like Brookline and like Newton. Yeah. Yeah. So we're, so like uh, the kind of the entrance to the Cape is, is like New Bedford, Fall River, like Providence is down in that area. Anyway, so my commitment to her was that I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't have more than a 10 or 15 minute commute anymore. Because that commute was was really challenging. So I've been lucky so far. Yeah, well, that was my question is, you know, you have four kids. What a kind of work-life balance is that? Like, what, are you good at when you come home? Or I guess now it's just so hard, but or different, I should say, not hard. But when you come home, are you able to shut off and, like, be fully present with your family? And then do you log back on later? Or once you leave the office, like, you're done for the night? But you wait, like, give me your tips. <laughs> yeah, so I'm not good at it. I'll just like be very honest and say like it's a it's a real struggle and uh, I wish I could say like I had some magical sort of uh, balance that I've been able to strike. I, I would say that you know the way that that I what's been fun for me is you know again so over ten years my fifteen year old was five and he's really he doesn't know a life without Spindrift and without every shirt that I wear that says Spindrift and product coming and going. And, you know, I think you actually, so I think I actually at a certain point started to go kind of the other way to say like, there's a, there's a point where it's too much to always have the business sort of around. And so I think if we've, if we've done anything, it's hardly nice to try to like, try to do a pretty bright line between, you know, sort of where work ends and family stuff begins. But I would say it's, it's definitely a work in process, not something we fully figured out. I always say that it, it's almost a pet peeve question of mine when someone said, asked me how I balance like being a mom and I, I have one child, I can't imagine four and like running a huge business, but I don't believe in the word balance. Like, you know, some days you're yeah. gonna, like really suck and you're going to be a lot more present at work than you are going to be as, as a parent. And then some days you're going to be very present as a parent and not as present at work. And just, I guess, learning to accept that no day is going to be perfect. But I know like my husband works, he works in finance in the city and he would leave like Monday mornings at like 6.30 in the morning, go to Equinox, like do his thing, get home at like 10 o'clock at night. And he wouldn't see Ezra till Friday. And I'm like, this is not a way of living. Like I grew up with- My dad worked remotely. He was in sales. So he worked remotely. So he was at everything and he was working out of the house. But during this, it's been such a transition and a treat to have everyone home together that I almost can't imagine going back to that lifestyle of not having like our whole family together during seven days a week. 
it's so yeah. it's awesome. It is. Work. And you're not alone in that sentiment. I mean, I think, you know, the reality is is that this has been the backdrop is obviously horrible and so hard and stressful and you know unprecedented i mean the list goes on and on but but within that broader narrative are these you know really quite special moments that certainly for sounds like for you and for me um you know i i hadn't been home for more than two weeks in 24 years i mean really since my honeymoon i guess 19 years ago so this is the longest by far so I think it has, you know, I think it's very fair to say that it is, you know, it has been a, there's been parts about it that are, you know, I I now will treasure going forward. I think the work-life thing, I mean, it it gets a lot of airtime at our business. You know, we talk a lot about exactly how you do this. Our philosophy has always been, our team works so hard to begin with. They're, you know, everyone, all of us, you know, get up early, check our phones, work all day, check our phones at the end of the, you know, it, it the work day feels endless. And so for me, it's like, if people can get away and get time with their family and I actually love it. I think it's so important to be able to do that. I think the challenge is that, you know, the magic that we feel like we've been able to create as a brand, a lot of it has come from being in the same room and collaborating and, you know, those long hours until 10 o'clock at night when, you know, all of a sudden a great idea happens and and now we're, we have this sort of breakthrough thought that ends up being a, a decisive moment in the business. And so I think it's it's always like, I think it it's the question becomes like, where do you find that line? Where is that line to, to allow for those things? And it's, it will, I, for us, it will be, continue to be a conversation forever to that, that sort of striking of the balance. Well, before we go into like my end, like fireball-ish questions, I have to ask, yeah. what's your favorite flavor of Spindrift? Do you rotate your favorite flavor of the week? Like what is your, what's your go-to? So you should know, like we call it hitting, hitting for the cycle. Like if you drink all 11 flavors in one day. <laughs> so <laughs> I, <laughs> I consume a lot of Spindrift. I am your father-in-law. Um, okay. So I have routinely probably six to yeah. to eight. It was actually probably the thing that my wife was the most, it was the strangest to her was just to see like how much I consume. I start with strawberry every morning for our first call in the morning. And then I sort of work my way through a few flavors, have blackberry with lunch. I always have a, two, a half and half at two o'clock for my, my Diet Coke fix from yeah. many years ago. And then maybe I'll mix a drink, you know, so I'm just, I'm sort of around. So I think like right now, I'm very excited about the strawberry. You know, I think just, it's just a very different flavor. It's versatile. I drink a lot of it, but I'd be hard pressed to choose just one. I have such FOMO with the strawberry because I'm like very allergic to strawberries, but they're my favorite oh. fruit. So I always want to have it. My mom drinks it when she's here and she loves it so much. My go-tos, I have favorites in like everything. So I always have a favorite. I love the lemon and the pineapple are like my two go-tos always. Well, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention the pineapple. The pineapple isn't in my rotation now because I, I also have a hard time getting it. Like we've been, it is, it is overperformed like by every metric. So 
we're, we're trying to catch back up on the production side. I'm envious as I watch you drink that can. So <laughs> I really, that product to me, while I always loved cut pineapple, like just fresh and cold, I wouldn't necessarily drink pineapple juice, but that is, that is starting to occupy like a really important place in my rotation. The team just did a crazy good job on that. It's really, it's, it's really, I used to drink a lot of pineapple juice. So. Oh, you did. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and- interesting. And when I was older, we used to have it. I used to have it with like rum and tequila. And then now, I mean, I just like love, love. It's my favorite flavor, I think, by far. But it's either that or lemon that I grab from the fridge. Well, here again, like most pineapple juice that we get in this country is concentrate. You know, so right away, our challenge, as has been the case so often, is like people don't necessarily know what really good pineapple tastes like. Yeah. And even I, I would say, like we were somewhat surprised and so the development on that development on that was very different yet again because it it was kind of a re-education on what pineapple is and then can we get enough of it you know we don't want to concentrate we don't need anything done to it just send it as is and um and then can we get it consistently so I'm so glad you like it I I, yeah we're very excited about that everyone loves it I haven't heard any negative feedback I have to show if I if Melissa didn't show you, I have to show you. Did you see my manicure that I got that was Spindrift inspired? No, I didn't. Oh my God, I'll send it to you after this. I okay. went to a nail salon. <laughs> I went to a nail salon in the city. This was actually like one week before COVID really like got bad. And I sat there for like literally two hours with this poor nail lady who wanted to kill me. And she did the Spindrift art work on all of my fingers, like um, a pineapple and like oh all the amazing. It was so cool. I'll send you a picture. But my friend that lives in Chicago, she did it last year. She's a huge fan of Spindrift. And I ever since then, I like haven't stopped thinking about it. But it was my last manicure before all this. And it was oh. so fun. I have like five questions I ask all of my guests. And the first one I is, what is one wellness trend that you buy into? I think it's what we were talking about, this sort of unengineering of food. I think it's the single most important trend for the next 10 years. There's just still so much processing that's unnecessary. And I think as health and wellness coming out of this COVID craziness takes on even more importance, you know, I hope that accelerates. And what is one wellnessy trend that drives you crazy? Like a pet peeve? I don't like all of the limiting and measuring. I think it takes some of the joy out of food. You know, you part like of macro counting or like, I just mean in general, I think it's very easy to fall into this pattern of sort of only having certain things and watching kind of being careful. And uh, the part about food is like, what brings people together around food is sort of joy. And if one person at the table is just being wacky about food, and again, we all are careful eaters, but you got to be able to sort of celebrate. And I think there's a point you can go too far with your sort of counting and measurement. And and I think, you know, we should all be able to, you know, rip a big piece of cake and, yeah. you know, have fun with it and not lose the joy along the way. No, I love Which, that. By the way, I think you happen to do very, very well, like celebrating, but with really, you know, that is an important thing that I think could get lost if we're not careful. Well, that's like just why the like whole orthorexia, it, you know, that's a form of an eating disorder now to 
have like an obsession over eating clean in a certain way, but yeah, I was looking, um, catching up with some of my messages and someone had asked me to make like a healthy challah, like challah bread. I'm like, I'm not fucking with challah. Like challah is like how it's supposed to be. Like it, that is what makes it beautiful. Like yeah. I want to eat it and not feel guilt. I'm like, well, that's a, in my head. I'm like, that's a different issue. Like there's no reason to feel guilty about eating challah. Like challah is made to be consumed like that. You know, like there's certain things that you just can't mess with. Totally agree. Totally agree. Consumed as is. If you had a different career path, what would it be? Oh, interesting. I'm really interested in alternative energy. And, you know, I think probably like everyone concerned about global warming. And, you know, I'm an optimist by nature. So I feel like it's solvable, Mm -hmm. but it's going to take a lot of time and thought and energy and strategy and all those kinds of things so I, w- I would love to be to be part of that um cool no one's given me an answer like that before what was your favorite fast food restaurant growing up and what was your go-to order oh awesome <laughs> I think friendlies so friendlies um you know friendlies obviously yeah. so yeah so they started in Wilbraham Massachusetts out in the western part of the state and I mean, I think I went on my first date. All my first dates took place at Friendly's and in Greenfield. And uh, I was a big like Reese's Pieces Sunday guy, or the Fribble, I think was their milkshake is delicious. Still delicious. I've had, I used to get the grilled cheese and then like a Reese's uh, something there. Yeah. Yeah. The grilled cheese. Till I don't know what they do. It's hard on the outside and gooey. It's delicious. <laughs> I forgot about Friendly's. <laughs> Um, then the last question, which I got a feeling you really like food. So I'm excited for your answer. It's your last day on earth. What are you eating from breakfast through the end of the day? Oh, wow. I would start with some sort of A's like hollandaise with egg, you know, poached eggs, uh, or Bernays, or I just love all those like yummy sort of eggy saucy things. And then for lunch, I think I would probably do a salad maybe a salad or like a big sandwich I guess it's my last day I'm not doing a salad <laughs> um gigantic sandwich like a grinder maybe an Italian sub amazing yeah. and then for dinner I think I would have to do seafood like I love you know I love I work spindrift is the whitewash of a wave worked on in and around the oceans I love like steamers and clams and lobster and all that kind of stuff it's a guilty pleasure and yeah, something like some combination like that. What's your favorite dessert? I love dessert. I love all dessert. I think um, there's a restaurant near where we go in, in, on the South Coast um, that makes like a Toll House pie, um, basically a gigantic cookie. And you load ice cream and whipped cream and stuff on top of it. And I think I would probably do that. I love that. Nothing better than a cookie. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us and tell us all about the man behind this amazing brand. Do you have your own Instagram that you like people to follow you at or it's a personal Instagram? It's just a personal one. I I don't, I don't, but, but I, you know, our drink spin drift one is, is definitely, I still, I love the team does an amazing job on that and I'll jump on occasionally and do something fun there. So that's the personal and and otherwise expression of for me well thank you so much and everyone go grab your favorite spin drift and tag me in them so i can see you guys enjoying them and let us know what you think of this episode thanks so much rachel